In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. I was talking with a friend this week about a book on prayer, and I told her I thought I'd read the book. And she talked about a section of the book that she found especially helpful, and I I listened and I wasn't really sure if I had read that part or not. And I kept wondering, have I read this book? Or did I just hear about it? Or is it a book that I wanted to read and haven't yet? Uh, Later at home, I looked on my bookshelf and sure enough, there it was. But it still looks brand new and the receipt is in it where a bookmark might be. I haven't read it. I haven't opened it since I bought it. I'm often interested in prayer in new ways of praying and how other people pray, what people have experienced in their prayers. But sometimes I have to be careful because my interest in prayer can get ahead of my experience of doing prayer. (laughs) Instead of reading about prayer, I probably would be better served simply to pray. I can get hung up on technique and skill and forget that the basic thing is simply to do it. The rest follows. It's for that reason I have a lot of compassion for the disciples in today's gospel. They seem to have been watching John the Baptist and his disciples. And so they say to Jesus, Lord, give us, give us a kind of prayer sort of like John the Baptist teaches his disciples. We don't know exactly what that prayer is, but if scholars are right and John the Baptist was influenced by the Essene community in Qumran, um, then perhaps who knows what his prayers were like, but they might have had a, a mystical touch. They might have been impressive. They might have been long. They might have just been deeply spiritual. Whatever it was, they made their mark on Jesus' disciples, and so they want something special too. In the forgiveness of his mercy, Jesus looks at his disciples and us with compassion and gives us this very simple prayer that we know as the Lord's Prayer. The faithful Jews in Jesus' day wouldn't have seen anything new in this prayer. It was the basics of any prayer that they might say any time. It can be disappointingly simple. It's not fancy. It doesn't seem especially mystical. It doesn't immediately put us one with God in God's presence. It's impressive in the only way that really matters, which is that it works. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us a pattern for prayer, a a set of words to use, yes, and to, to store up and to recall whenever we need them. But even more, Jesus gives us a relationship in that prayer. That's what that prayer is based on. Jesus shows us a door, a doorway, an opening, a way for conscious contact with God. In the Lord's Prayer, we're given a picture of of God who cares for us and never forgets us. God will provide for everyone who asks, receives, and anyone who searches, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open to them. 
It's a relationship of trust, of of being in conversation with God, of being familiar with God, and so being able to ask God for things. Last week we heard about how Abraham and Sarah learned this from the angels who came to visit. Until then, Abraham and Sarah had their doubts about whether God was listening at all. But by the point of today's reading, Abraham and God are like familiar friends to the point that Abraham and God can get into this this episode of of sort of holy haggling. Now, there's a complicated and very dark backstory to Abraham's request that Sodom be spared. It seems in some ways as though Abraham doesn't know exactly just how wicked the people of Sodom really are, how awful they are, or perhaps he wouldn't ask God for mercy anyway. Sodom, and what has been called sodomy, has come into our language largely through a misreading and a misunderstanding of the scripture. Um, You can look back and read it for yourselves, but what happens in Genesis is that those same angels who meet Abraham and Sarah in last week's reading, those same angels move on and they go into Sodom. There they meet Abraham's nephew, Lot, and Lot invites the men for food to stay. Now the men of Sodom are a mean, evil bunch, and they demand that the strangers be turned out to them to be given over to them to have their way with them. The men of Sodom want to use these strangers and violate them. Now Lot then does something just as as unimaginable. Lot tries to protect his guests, but instead offers his daughters to these thugs from the town. This is an awful story of lust and violence and the bullying of people, and in some ways Lot shows himself as being no better, though his daughters get back at him at the end. Phyllis Tribble, longtime professor at Union Seminary, calls this rightfully a text of terror. It's a place where it's hard to find any good God in it. And so I commend her books to you if you want to read more. It's one of these old, old stories shrouded in confusion and mystery. But the point is clear that God wipes out Sodom because it didn't welcome the strangers, because they didn't show hospitality to angels and could not contain their own lust and drive for dominance. When the New Testament quotes this episode in in Sodom, it says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Well, this is all a fairly large aside. (laughs) But Abraham is able to talk with God as a trusted friend, And that's what Jesus is talking about with his disciples. Knock at the door. Say hello. Begin the conversation. In talking with his disciples about prayer, about knocking on the door of God's heart, Jesus uses images and sayings from his own day. He mentions a sleepy neighbor who might not get up for just anyone, but with persistence will answer the door. When Jesus speaks to those around him as you who are evil, it's important for us to hear that Jesus is just chatting with friends here. This is not a formal moral pronouncement. 
It's more like Jesus saying, look, you know how you are on your worst days. Even on that day, you wouldn't give your kid deliberately a bad thing if she asked for something simple. Imagine how much more then God looks after you. St. Paul's letter to the Colossians explains just why we have the potential for relationship with God, why we can have the confidence and faith to walk up to the door and knock and begin to ask God for help. Paul reminds us that God lives in Christ fully, totally, completely, and we have that life of God in us because of Christ. In Christ, we were buried with him in baptism and we're raised with him above the death of sin. And we will be raised like him from death itself. Paul goes on to say, basically, don't forget who you are and whose you are. Don't let people drag you into silly debates about this detail or that detail, what you should pray for, how you should pray, or whether you should be kneeling or standing or standing on your head. Hold fast to Christ, the head of the church, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. Ask, knock, and hold on. If we lack the courage to knock on the door, we can remember another scripture in which it's Jesus who's knocking on the door. In Revelation 3, Jesus says, I am standing at the door, knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come to you and eat with you and you with me. This passage from Revelation is, of course, illustrated beautifully in the famous painting of Jesus entitled Light of the World. There's a copy of it at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. The painting is by William Holman Hunt. And it shows Jesus standing in a doorway holding a lantern. As one commentator points out, the door represents the human soul, which cannot be opened from the outside. There's no handle on the door, and the rusty nails and hinges overgrown with ivy denote that the door has never been opened, and that the figure of Christ is asking permission to enter. The morning star appears near Christ, the dawn of a new day, and the autumn weeds and fallen fruit represent the autumn of life. Christ knocks on the door of our heart. We're encouraged to knock on the door of prayer. We have the courage to knock on this door because Christ has already knocked on the door of our heart. and Christ offers to take us by the hand and help us through any door. We don't need to worry about how to pray, and it doesn't matter if we get tongue-tied. The only thing that matters is that we ask and have the faith to walk through the door. May we have the faith to grow in Christ, to knock on the door and ask for God's presence and God's love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.